Welcome to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. And welcome. Oh, welcome. I didn't say go. Sorry, do it again. Do it again. Jump the gun. <laughs> You're really excited. Premature starting off. <laughs> Premature introduction. Yes, go ahead. And introduction. Vamos. Well, hola, and welcome to the Board Game Snobs podcast. This is the only podcast that you are going to enjoy for the next 30 minutes because. You're, once we start talking, you're just not going to want to turn us off. Maybe because of our sexy, sultry voices. Titillating. Titillating. I like that term. Uh, send us an email or hate mail at boardgamesnobs at gmail.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a few things. One of which, if you don't mind, Gobby, if I could be so presumptuous, instead of you doing your normal banter, I would like to kind of take the edge off that for a little bit. Oh, okay. Kick back. Uh, I, actually I can relax. Questions. Oh, I know you can relax, but I mean, kick back and relax. If there's one thing I know how to do, it's relax. Mm, mm, mm. What is relaxing so, to you? Uh, this, this right here. Exactly. Talking to you and drinking Kilburn. Hearing your uh, voice, I'm relaxed. It needs to be a little bit softer, a little more whispery, and I'll be asleep. So, we were on Sporadically Bored, perhaps you've heard of it, another podcast based in Britain, and they had several questions that were posted for us in their Facebook group that we unfortunately didn't have time to answer, and I made the mistake of saying, we are going to answer these at another later date. We're stealing them. It is now that later date. And so, I will read them, these questions, to you, and we're going to do our best to answer them. So, Gabi, uh, this one has to deal with movies, and this is... Asked by none other than Michael Vinoy. Tanoy Vinoy. Uh, <laughs> Let's not have that discussion again. What movie trope annoys you the most? Asked Mr. Vinoy, the Tanoy. What annoys you? The Fortunately, most? I had seen this question and I have prepared an answer. It's usually in movies where people gain powers of some sort. And for no reason at all, they decide not to tell their dearest, closest, bestest loved one or friend or family. So you mean to tell me that if you gain some sort of power, you would right away like text me and be like, Jerry, my skin is super elastic or something. Yes. No, well, the, I, I don't know that I would go out of my way to tell somebody, but I wouldn't go out of my way to keep it a huge secret just for fabricated dramatic tension. Just so now he's got a secret that he can't share. So now she or he doesn't trust him. He's being weird. What's going on? I hate that. It's happens all the time on the CW. 
fabricated dramatic tension. That is a great fret phrase. I'm just I'm that is just that needs to be on a t-shirt. Write yeah, that down. Don't tell don't tell Aunt May. Is that Spider-Man? Uh because yep. sh- like she'll rat me out to who? Yeah. No. I, I, no. The thing is they usually say to protect them. Uh if you're a bad guy, you're going to kill Spider-Man's nearest relative anyway, whether she knows it or not. That's stupid shoot- to me. I could shoot webbing out of my orifices, Aunt May. <laughs> I mean, that's something. How do you have that conversation? How do you have you that conversation? You just demonstrate it. If I had some sort of weird power, though, that couldn't be demonstrated, what if I could hear the thoughts of goldfish? That's something I would keep to myself. That'd be like, that's why Jerry never goes in the pet smart. Well, I mean, okay, now, see, but that's different. Now, you've that's you've stumbled upon something different. If there's something that is completely insane, such as I can hear the thoughts of goldfish. Not the crackers. (laughs) Those are, well, they're non-sentient, so. Or maybe they are sentient, and we're eating them, and they scream with each bite. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, so if you discover that. Well, that might be a little more iffy than, say, I can climb on walls and easily show you so as to assuage any fears or doubts about me being weird around you. I can control anything that's green with this (laughs) ring. (laughs) Uh, But then again, that does kind of freak me out that this trope has caused young people who actually have superpowers to hide them. What if Enrique actually has superpowers and he just won't tell us? He Maybe does. he is Batman. Maybe he is Batman. No, his superpower is he can drink Dr. Pepper hot in large volumes. Uh, did you see the trailer for my man Pattinson being the Batman? Yes. And it looks oh, so good. That looks that like Vana song just kills me every time. That looks like the Batman I've wanted to. I said, I don't know where I said this, but I have said Batman in the comics is one to be feared. Right. People are scared of him. I've never seen that in the movies. He looks goofy. Or it's just not scary. This one looks like they're scared of him. I would be scared. Like he's a lunatic. And that's the Batman I, I want to see. People are making fun of the like the dark eyeliner. Like they're like he's like an emo Batman. But really there has to be that beginning stage of a young Batman who's learning the ropes and is just vengeful and angry then and thus makes people fear him because he doesn't have the self-control that a much more aged Batman would. I just, I, yes. I think that's an interesting take, especially that they're using the Riddler and of course going for a darker theme, but also at the same time sticking uh, to And with a Batman, I mean, his is all emotional trauma. So he would be going through a lot of things as opposed to like we just said, like Spider-Man, like something that physically might change the way he acts. But don't you know that when the like when all these superheroes get together for therapy and they're like, so how did you get your powers? Well, this guy, I got bit by a spider on a school trip. And the other one like, what happened to you? I stood too close to a nuclear reactor. What about you, Batman? My parents were killed. (laughs) In front of me. Starts uncontrollably weeping. And then he decided, I'm going to clean up the city. Uh, My my mama. uh, What's his mama's name? (laughs) Laura? No. Oh, Martha. Martha. (laughs) 
Martha's pearls bounced in front of me as a small child. I dream of her pearls bouncing. <laughs> What's with the pearls? Every movie, with every freaking movie, you see them that pearls bouncing that, off the sidewalk. The original Batman, Jack Nicholson, the Joker, shooting that poor Martha and those pearls bouncing. That was the first thing I ever saw in a movie theater. And that still, really? to this day, sticks with me. Yeah, that was the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater. My Batman. first movie, oh, wow, you had a different set of parents than mine. <laughs> Well, I snuck into that. Well, oh. they were they were having a uh, it was this old movie theater that just had two screens, and so one side was always kids movies like The Little Mermaid and stuff like that. Disney stuff and Disney stuff. They would just repeat old Disney movies. That's all that we had back just, in the day. That was for children. Right. Was Disney. So, so I we would we'd go there to watch something. I would sneak out, and I snuck out, and watched one of the greatest films of all time. And I just I remember. I I remember the VHS tape. I remember my dad buying the Batman Michael Keaton v- VHS tape and my dad laughing every time. We rewound it and rewound it that part where Jack Nicholson pulls that absurd, big old long gun. long gun out of his pants <laughs> and my dad's like there's no such gun, son. No, there's not a gun like that. But if there was, I'd buy one. <laughs> it was anyways. They uh I think I remember all the Disney Idabel, Oklahoma had a cinema much like that, like two screens. And all I remember is mostly Disney movies. I believe I remember Peter Pan and or it was just a movie cartoon back then. Song of the South. I think they had re-released yes. it. Um, you know, I was a kid. I was like, oh, the you know, the rabbit and the singing. There's a bird on my shoulder. Uh, it's a small. Didn't it's a small world come from that movie. There's a lot of stuff, and, and and just think how times have changed. I know. Like, I mean, it was nothing back then, 1981, yeah. and that was the re-release. Yeah. But yeah. So, now you cannot find that movie. Yeah. So what movie tropes annoy me, uh, besides racism? Uh, the thing that really gets me <laughs> in, in movies is um, when somebody dies, and they die just so that it's dramatic. For instance, I'll just use Rogue One as an example. The dad gets shot and the daughter runs up and he gets to say something before he passes away. That 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 gets me each and every time. It's like, why go for this dramatic death? It the death is no more meaningful because he got to look you in the eye and say, Oh, well, Starfish or Stardust or whatever her name was. I can't remember. Starscream. Uh, <laughs> that did die. I mean, that's that's just such a goofy trope. Don't do that. It, somebody's death should be enough to carry the emotional trauma. I mean, Martha, her pearls just dropped. That's it. She didn't yell, Bruce. No, she just died. Uh, the you, next so you're talking about a, from, Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Move on. We could, yeah, I could stay yeah. on this all day. I could yeah, do this next, all day. What's that from? You won't know. Uh, I do, too. That's what? A, that's a, any given Sunday. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Uh, my man, Jamie, uh, our good friend, Cody Sonnengard, Sodengard, Sardengard. Stop. That sounds like. Snodgrass. That's, Go. No, no, that's Sonnengard. He's from Skyrim. No, Cody Sonnengard. He, he's from, uh, uh, uh Michigan. Asgard. That's what I said. Asgard. <laughs> Asgard, Michigan. The Gamecasters are in Michigan. From the Sonnengard. He says, how do you learn about new board games to try and what hooks you the best into trying particular games. So I generally learn about new board games uh, from just, you know, 
getting on BGG, looking at the hotness when it used to be on there. But mainly also, I've signed up for a lot of news releases. This sounds stupid, but from different companies, just so that they'll email me and say, hey, this is... No, I like news releases. I was reading Jamie's. Jamie Stagmeyer's. Yeah, there you go. And when I'll ask particularly what hooks me into trying particular games, uh, at times I'll go down to Madness, which is the store down in Dallas, the big board game shop, about every six months. And I just amble around and see games that I haven't heard about and do a little bit of research on them. I'll take a picture of them, write the name down, and just go, okay, I'll, I'll look into that. And what generally hooks me is, one, the mechanics, two, the board. Like, does the board look like it has been designed by a sane person that knows, you know, not just pieces everywhere and and tracks, but something that looks playable. And really, I'll watch a playthrough. And after a first few rounds, that generally gives me a good idea of what I got going on. So that's how I do it. And then Gobby just listens to me. Pretty much. I used to listen to many, many podcasts and if they ranted and raved about a game, I would like go check it out on cool stuff and then just buy it like, like without any sort of looking into. Uh, then I started watching Watch It Plays and playthroughs and Paul Grogan and other just well, there's all sorts of people that do playthroughs now. John gets games. I love John gets games. And even those have led not led me astray. It's not their fault that led me astray, but just watching them play it, I was like, uh, the one I go to is Tapestry. I watch it played. I'm like, that looks really like something I would like. I did not like that game. So even the watch it played. So now I, uh, I pretty much just rely on Jerry. Like Jerry has access to the internet more often than I do now. So he, I'm like, what's going on? What looks good? Richard Simpson asks. What's our Jerry's opinion on social media? Mm, Richard knows my opinion about social media. You uh, love it. I, dis- I dislike Twitter with a passion, and Reddit is slowly getting up there. Uh, let's see. What's another one? But oh, you say Jordan. so many things on them. Oh, I wanted to go back to Jamie's uh, newsletter real quick. The only reason, I, of course, there's an expansion for uh, a tapestry coming out. But down his list, I do like the uh his little calendar thing oh yeah he does a good job at his releases that uh he'll have like okay this expansion is like it's coming out then this game has got this code name for it uh you know games that are coming out but i I saw in design stage viticulture expansion coming out does viticulture need an expansion that got me excited uh I would say for me personally at this point, yes, because I, as I have mentioned, Viticulture is, I love that game, but I've kind of played it. I need something to refresh it for me. And I jokingly, well, not jokingly, I, I tweeted Stegmeyer, Stonemeyer, whatever one time and said, they need to like redo Viticulture, like give it the uh, Napa Valley, you know, like. Like, so many games come out with different versions of pretty much the same game. They could do a viticulture with Napa Valley, but with some various different mechanics. And he's like, yeah, I, I made Tuscany. It was kind of a snarky retort, if you ask me. I, I was like, oh. Guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> and I was like, I was- oh, okay. Well, I have Tuscany, and yeah, that's good. But, like, I was thinking about, like, a revamped board. Or, you know, just, I'm ready for a new version of viticulture, a, a redux. Viticulture, uh, Olive Garden, 
<laughs> there you go. Uh, Jordan Cruz. I can't say that name right. I mispronounce everybody's names. So I'll just mispronounce yours. Jordan would Tom Cruz. I'll do what Dan you, does. Oh, yeah, please do. Please. Any, yeah. <laughs> Join my Patreon. <laughs> would you keep a game in your collection solely for its beauty, even if you never plan to play it? Absolutely not. No. Uh, I don't have games to look at. I would not. Uh, John Carl Brown. I like that name. I like people who have middle names. My middle name is Dale. Jerry John Dale. Carl. John Carl Brown. J.C. Brown. That's a strong name. I need to know the ancestors. Except of usually three named people are serial killers, John Wayne Gacy. No, or, or they're presidential assassins. Uh, I need to know the ancestral homelands of all the podcast participants because I, North American, and that's how we do it. Well, I'm from Oklahoma, but I'm 75% Irish, Gobby's Brazilian, and also a Texan. <laughs> uh, or Chilean, get it right. Yeah, that's what I said. You're hairless Chilean. <laughs> and Enrique is Hispanic, but he's also an Oklahoman. Uh, let's see. Oh, Mike Looney, did you try the Bax more cereal? Uh, yeah. If you had listened to the previous podcast, you'll know I was munching on those things and they gave me the diabetes. So thank you. I'm on Lantis now. R.I.P. Uh, uh, Wilford Brimley, that is. Wilford Brimley. Let's see. He recently uh, passed away. Did he? Yes. The oatmeal guy? I love the oatmeal. Diabetes recently passed away. Didn't know not that. not the disease, but the guy that made the disease prominent. I don't think he made the disease prominent. August first, twenty twenty, he passed away. That's terrible. That is absolutely terrible. Uh, Paul Catley. I remember says, Wilford Brimley was in some TV show or series, and it scarred me as a young man. If anyone listening has any idea what I'm talking about, he was a cop, I believe. I, he's always a cop or sheriff or something. It was a TV. I, back in the day, they had miniseries. For some reason, I, in my child brain, I think it was a miniseries. He's walking somewhere. Someone th- like throws a pick, not throws it, but they swing a pickaxe at him and drives it right into his chest and kills dear Wilfred Brimley and whatever TV. Like I remember that vision in my brain. He gets a pickaxe in his chest. If you know what I'm talking about, email us. Because I don't know what that was from. Just like I remember the first werewolf movie I seen that I could not sleep at night. I could not sleep after I seen this movie. They're following these railroad tracks. This They're like these railroad people and they're like, see these footprints. Oh, lo and behold, it's a werewolf. A swing off goes this guy's head. The guy, the head just spins through the air, hits the ground, rolls. It's some werewolf movie. No idea what it was called. Scarred me. I could not sleep at night. Scared to death of werewolves. But Wilf, Wilford Brimley and the pickaxe also, huh? That all sounds. This I, I'm going to have to interject there. That all sounds creepy. I I, I stepped out for a moment. You were gone? Wilford, I was gone. Wilford Brimley, I had to answer the door. Wilford Brimley and diabetes, I don't know where you're at, so we're moving along. Paul Catley asked, have you breached lockdown rules to play a board game? Uh, we didn't breach the rules, but there was a small let up. Was it back in June? Where we did get together briefly. We played one, uh, that, yeah, the last time we got together was when we were like one time. 
So yeah, well, it's like when it. they, they opened up Texas and Oklahoma and we're like, yeah, let's play a game. And then like everything blew back up. So we're like, mm, maybe it's best we don't. Marcus Brisman, the snobs often talk about drinking alcoholic beverages. I'm curious about gaming. Do you also drink when gaming? Oh, we already answered that. We he answered that, that one. What's your views on asymmetry? Well, that's lopsided. That's what I think. Uh, let's see. Oh, this was one that we didn't get to answer by Kellen A. Laker. Now, Kellen A. Laker, he's not A. Laker. That's his middle name, A. Laker. Now, Kellen is the guy off that the the, the boat board game barrage, right? Barrage. He's the tank. He's the tank. The he said, since tank, you don't usually talk about board games, or blue, has it or occurred green. I don't that know. you actually, the closest board game media to celebrity personalities like Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian? I Let's wish. See, uh, Mm, oh, that's hot. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. But two of them. Kim actually, K and Paris. You know who they are. I know who they are. As long as people know who we are, I consider that a win. I do donate too. to our They're- upcoming Patreon. Jerry, you need to get them levels figured out. I'm working on it. I'm working on the Patreon because everybody has throwaway money now. <laughs> uh, David Watkins. And while you're yes. throwing it away, throw it this away. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so, uh, David Watkins, he says, has banter become an excuse for people to be offensive and how do you stay the right side of the line? That's a good, that's a good question, David. And I like that he kind of implies that we do the right thing and stay on that right side of the line. I would say at times we accidentally cross it over. Uh, banter is not, I, I think you do have to be careful about not offending people. I don't think you need to overly worry about it because quite frankly, if, if you offend somebody, uh, they'll they'll stop listening to you, and we don't want that. We just try to avoid doing that. I don't think we've offended it. Well, I'm sure we've offended somebody. Well, but there's yeah, some things we- that are... Okay, A, banter Go ahead and- means different things in different places, I think. like I think they had a whole discussion in the sporadically bored Facebook or somewhere there was a discussion on banter. Like, that means something different in Europe. Here, it just means chit-chat, small talk. What you been up to? How's it going? Da 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 da. So here, that's our like we just talk about foolishness. Uh, but as far as uh, whether or not banter can be offensive, I'm sure it can be. I don't. I've never listened to a board game that has a, a podcast that has offended me. Usually, they're very by the numbers, very straight and narrow. Uh, I tell you what, those game casters, they're really offensive. <laughs> <laughs> they they may ride the line, but that's also they, that's also the thing I was thinking about is if you do listen to a podcast on a regular basis and you're a regular listener, uh, like I said about uh, sporadically bored when we were on there in their Facebook group, that's like the curated group. This is a group of people that like what sporadically bored does, just as the board game snobs listeners, Facebook group, Instagram followers like what we do so usually kind of anything you say and do among that group it's it's cool at the same time me and jerry kind of know what is clearly offensive so yeah i would never say i try to never say anything clearly offensive i mean unless it's by accident and maybe it's something that you know, politically correct has changed and I'm not aware that, but there's some things that, I mean, just the everyday conscience of a person should know, Hey, I shouldn't say this terrible thing. You're talking a lot of talk for somebody on the last podcast offended Catholics and the Dutch. (laughs) So I'm just gonna, I gotta go ahead. I was just reading facts. (laughs) 
Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, from Beth, Ranker. Don't care from, about your feelings. From Ranker. You. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, from Ranker. Thank Ranker. you, Bobby, for com. offending people. Go ahead. Oh, he also has, asked, how do we avoid proper board game snobbery in the hobby? Now, I think that that comes from being a somebody when i think of snobbery i think of somebody feeling like they're too good to play a certain board game and i don't feel that way i think that well now there's certain games i've played that i don't like but i have to play them to know that i don't like them such as you know marchi coro but i've played some stupid games that i really enjoyed uh happy salmon happy salmon me and bubba get together all the time play happy salmon not just two you do weird yeah No, I'm not offended. since the not lockdown, we don't come over in masks and have a group of people running around. You're not slapping, slapping hands. hands. No, no slap hands. It's more like uh, uh, it's uh, distant salmon. <laughs> That's what you got. Don't socially distant salmon. Socially distant salmon. But I mean, yeah, you, you just don't want to act like no uh, spawning you for you. Right, and you don't want to gatekeep. You don't want to keep people out of the hobby. That's why we joined the Gateway Network. Uh, is that what that network's called? Is it the Gateway Network? I don't know. I think it's the Gateway Network. The Gatekeepers a- Network. <laughs> is that the Gatekeepers Network. None shall pass. None shall pass. This hobby has too what? many neckbeards as it is. What? About your business. What is your favorite what? color? <laughs> we don't need any more blues. Oh, yes. Uh, let's see. Bum, uh, bum, 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 bum. Alex Tafano asks... Paisano Tafano. Ah, he was on The Sopranos. What's your least favorite country you've never been to? Well, Dutch, Lind. Uh Duh, uh, Boston. <laughs> country, country. Oh. Um, uh, least favorite country that I've never been to. I don't think, strangely enough, that I would enjoy, uh, like, uh, okay, I've been to Mexico, but I've never been to South America. It's so hot down there. How I think dare I you? Would not, the land of my people? I don't think I could handle the land of your people. The Andes are snow-capped. I know, but then that show Alive where they those soccer well. players had to eat each other, and then they sang Ave Maria. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. <laughs> well, that's a... <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but sure, speaking of facts... Yes, that's what happened. That soccer team or the rugby team, they crashed in the plane. I think Ethan it was actually Hawk, a rugby team. Ethan Hawk had to eat some people. And they walked out of there. <laughs> was I Ethan Hawk was in that? No. I don't know. Who was in it? I can't no, remember. No, there was a, oh, there was something Spano. There was an actor that was in it that my mother loved. I'm looking it up right now. Keep talking. <laughs> I don't we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about a movie where a and actually, I don't even know that they were in, they were, I don't know if they were in Chile. They were in one of those countries, Chile, Peru, and they crashed. There it is. Are you ready? Okay, go. So, it was Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke was in it. Thank you very much. Is there a he something Spano? Vincent Spano. Vincent, Vincent Spano. Spano. My mother loved that guy. <laughs> Let me look at Vincent Spano. He's a handsome man. He's 57. He's from Brooklyn. And let's read about him. What did he play in? He was in the Black Stallion Return, Baby yes. It's You. Black Stallion Rumble Returns Fish. is probably, I mean, that's 1983. That's around peak uh, Gobby informative years. Yeah. And mom was like, I love Vincent Spano. I've never, I swear I've never heard of this man. 
Like when you said Spano, I just, I've completely blanked on him. But I will say this. uh, He is in a very much a ripoff, a docudrama television show called Afterburn. It has the same font as as Maverick, as Top Gun. (laughs) In this this fact-based film, one of the finest pilots employed by the U.S. Air Force is enlisted to perform test flights of the new Model F-16 plane. Mm. When Ted dies after the plane goes down, the military official report claims that the cause was human error. But Ted's spouse, played by Lauren Dern, uh, refuses to believe this and so investigates as Janet digs deeper when into are, the case. When are we going to get the 20-plus years late sequel of Iron Eagle? That's my question. I want to know. I'm desperate for Iron Eagle. But Alive was a nice He smashes the button on that uh of iPhone of his and Now see, he didn't fly an F fifteen Tomcat. No, I He flew a cooler jet, in my opinion. What'd he fly? I don't know, but the, the wings didn't do what the F fifteen did. He flew an Iron Eagle, obviously. I, I don't know. I don't think Did that. you watch Iron Eagle with the Lewis Gossett Jr.? Yeah, I just can't remember what it, I, I barely. Yeah, and I, then I, he dies, and then he hits the play button on his Walkman and defeats the Russians. Amazing, better than Top Gun. What did he fly? I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> no, and, we don't I, have time. Just go. We're okay. twenty. We're thirty minutes in, and I've touched our main topic. I've okay, got to go to bed. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> So that's just answering all the questions from the sporadically bored. That's how much we care. I should be in bed right now. I should be in bed, but we're recording for you. For you, because we love you. We love you desperately. We love you, Vincent Spano. (laughs) Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle. (laughs) Oh, Lewis Gossett Jr. (laughs) Enemy Unseen. Remember that? Oh, I remember Lewis Gossett. I remember him from... uh, Oh, 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 oh. Give me a second. Uh, an officer and a gentleman. Never seen it. No. I've never no. seen that movie. No. You're kidding me. I've never seen that movie. I, I, I'm talking about off. That, that, no, I'm not, no, I'm not talking about the, uh, the, I'm talking about the one with Richard Gere, the officer and a gentleman, the romantic drama. It was 82. I'm not talking about the other one that's, that everybody gets confused with it. Louis Gossett Jr. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know what Richard you're talking Gere. about. Okay. That enemy one. Mine, not Enemy Unseen. Enemy yeah, Mine, enemy. Lewis Gossett Jr. played like an alien, like a- Yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. Uh, enemy Mine is like one of the greatest films of all time. A binary alien. Like, he, he thought he was a dude, but like he was having a baby. And it's asexual. It just Asexual, yes. Yeah. That was a oh, great I- movie. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid. Yes, oh, Dennis Quaid. Oh, that was a good movie. Oh, Excellent I need to show Charday by- that one. Yeah, I, I want to watch that so bad. Excellent performance, Mr. Lewis Scossett Jr. on um, playing an asexual terrestrian. <laughs> Having a baby. <laughs> Extraterrestrian. Thank you. Excellent job. Very moving. Very moving. Um, we must move on. <laughs> we, speaking speaking of, of moving, we need to move on. Aliens, speaking of aliens and being trapped on planets, <laughs> I want to talk about a game. That this is all sick. you, baby. I'm going to sit all back right, and listen. Th- you just go ahead and sit back and listen, because I'm going to tell you a tale, Gobby, okay. of a good of a good friend. Bible goes friend. west. Who? No, nothing going. No, 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 no. On a good friend named Kyle Miller. Kyle Miller essentially sent us some games. I say us, 
he he actually sent them to me. But nonetheless, you know what's mine is yours. No, no, he didn't send them to you. He sent them to the board game snobs. I gave it him had your my address. Ad- I it gave had my address. I had my replied and gave him your address, and then he said, "Can he get you something too?" And I said, "Yes." And you have not given it to me. All he said is it said he sent me an email afterwards and said, "Glad it reached you, meaning me. Hope you guys enjoy it. Oh uh, stay safe and God bless." Thank you, Kyle Miller. I appreciate you. Uh, he sent me or us on Mars. Uh, so On Mars is the VTOL Asserta game that was released in 2020. We were having this argument earlier. It's a 2020 release. So On Mars, the VTOL so this, Asserta this game. Is gonna win. This is going to sweep the awards at our next Snobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Heads up. Heads up. The 2021 Snobbies are going to be lit. Uh, this is about Much building like a- like London, mo- 1666. R.I.P. Uh this is the game of building the first Martian colony. It's semi-cooperative, kind of, sort of, and it has a lot of mechanics. It's a beautiful game. Peter O'Toole did the art. Ian O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia? I was thinking more of Zulu Dawn. Uh, <laughs> this is some really old art. Those blue eyes, they get me every wow. time. Every time. Those eyes. That's Shut the up. sign you're listening to an old man's podcast. <laughs> I wonder, Ian O'Toole did the artwork. Us. Is he related to Peter? Oh, oh. that's good stuff. Vital Lacerda. Um, so if you, uh, most people in the board gaming community know Vital Lacerda designs are very complicated. As a matter of fact, it's been said that On Mars is his heaviest game. It has a weight of 4.6 on BGG. Uh, I'll say this. I was very excited to lay the game out and to look at the artwork. It's beautiful. The world book, as soon as I opened it, I knew this is going to be a problem. Uh, I was not going to read this rule book and understand exactly what needed to happen. Paul Grogan, though, who also wrote the rule book, uh, does a nice 45-minute playthrough on gaming rules. I watched that 45 minutes, and 45 minutes later, I knew how to play the game. I was very pleased with the video as a whole. I then went back through the rule book, glancing through it, and picked out little parts that I wanted to make sure I understood. And then after setting up the game, which is difficult to set up a little bit, uh, I was ready to go. It has a solo to it, which I'll talk about here in a moment. But as with most games that I play, the first time I play them, I always set them up two-player, and I just play two separate players, just trying to kind of get the feel for the strategy. Now, one of our listeners, I say listeners, one of our listeners, I believe, had mentioned to me once before and had made a request, actually, that I was going to talk to Gabby about while he's up going to the bathroom. I cannot seem to find the email. What in the world? I'm terrible at this. Let's see. Oh, I found it. Here's the email I was looking for. It's from a Nathan Tompkins. Mr. Tompkins writes, Hey, snobs. I've written once before. Absolutely love the show. Uh, dad jokes and puns and so forth. Just one thought, though. When you do game reviews, could you please do a lot more coverage on the component's quality so I'll know whether to buy the game or not? About 10 minutes after cardboard thickness, whether the cards will be nicked, 
whether wooden cubes would have to be replaced by custom models and whether components properly fit in the insert should be part of the review. So basically, Mr. Tompkins has requested that we talk more about board game quality of the components. Which is Did you tell him you're not the boss of me? Well, no, but actually, I think this is a good point oh, for okay. two reasons. One, I don't necessarily focus a lot on components when I'm thinking of a review. I just talk about what the game looks like. I will say this. On Mars is a beautiful, beautiful game, and the components are top-notch. Pretty much any Eagle Griffin game that you're going to buy that's designed by Mr. Lacerda and his friend Mr. O'Toole are going to be of excellent quality, and this one is very nice. Uh, so an On Mars, not to bore anybody with how you play this game, because I will not do a good job about it. I just want to talk about how it feels. Now, the mechanism of the game is pretty straightforward. You've got two sides of the board, and it's pretty much action selection or worker placement. There's these five spots on one side, five spots on the other. And if you're in space at the space station, you're on this side of the board. If you're on Mars, you're on this side of the board, and you have these action spaces. The action space space shows a meeple, (laughs) and you have to... The space in space... If it shows a meeple, you got to put a meeple there to use the guy. you got to put your little spaceman there to use it. If it doesn't, then you can just do the action. And that's pretty much it. That's the game. You know how to play on Mars. Yeah, done. Move on. Uh, holy cow. Uh, I won't dive into the complexity of each little move that must be followed to complete your actual turn. But what is so interesting about this game is the timing on it. Uh, I've talked a lot in the past about games like Zulkin that you have to time everything that you do. And when something works out and the timing is perfect, it's a great feeling. Now, I didn't really particularly enjoy Zulkin, but On Mars has a particular hook much like that. The space shuttle that's going back and forth from the planet of Mars up to the space station Every so few rounds, depending on which round you are, on the, the spaceship travels, and you can travel with it. So you can go up into space to the space station and do research and get materials that you need and hire crew and so forth, scientists. Or when it comes back down to Mars, that's when you have the chance to build buildings and to kind of uh, move your rover around and explore. Uh, that's where... The timing of the game, it ha- you have to really think ahead of where is this space shuttle going to be at? Am I going to hop a ride on it? And am I going to go down to the planet and do as much work as I can before I go back up to the space station and have to research something? That is a very neat feeling. Mm-hmm. And it requires a lot of patience and a lot of timing. Rocket and what ends up, it, it, it feels like. a long, long time. It feels like... Keep talking. I'm going to sing in the background. Go ahead. It really does feel like that she just when you're about... She bags last night, pre-flight, see we're hour 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high, high, high as a kite by then. Rocket man. Uh, you're supposed I, to keep talking. I'm not going to... I can't. I can't. You're enchanted. I can't. I'm you're enchanted. enchanted. <laughs> I can't, and so I, I would just much rather just push through this and say, okay. Quite frankly, much like Mars, a hemorrhoid, push through it. I'm about to. <laughs> on Mars is my favorite VTOL assertive game. It is one of the uh, best games I've played here snap. recently, 
and I am super excited to play it again. Uh, I have I don't like the solo. I don't like the, the there's a deck of cards that you play against a bot that moves around and takes up spaces. I, I don't want to mess with the solo. I have played it multiple times on either TTS or just sitting it up two player and just going back and forth and trying to learn the strategy. Uh, it's amazing. It works. Wow. In such a way that I've not seen a board game work before. Wow. I was okay. So as far as board game designers and their I mean clearly just to just to create a board game to me requires a level of genius. I mean you have things mechanisms interacting with each other that I could not possibly myself comprehend. Where do you rank I would say this game specifically, but as well as the rest of his games, because even though you may not like them, like uh, the gallerist had mechanisms that interacted with each other in a very nice way. How would you rank Vital Lasarda's design level against other, um, like, I don't really know. I know what I'm trying to say. I can't does, express it. I think what you're trying to ask is how does he compare to other designers? Like as what far is, as like who, who's yeah, his like, contemporary. Who is who is on the level of like you're saying? Like when you're reading the rule book, you cannot even comprehend what he's trying to do. But once you start playing it, like all you see how all these mechanisms mechanisms are interlocking with each other, and you're like, oh my god, now I get it. And you're like, this is this is beautiful. It's amazing. It's genius. Where does he rank to you now that you've played this game? And that's that's not a that's that's particularly not a difficult question. What his contemporaries are, uh, obviously, I really feel like he is up there with with Martin Wallace in terms of being able to make systems that connect. And 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 Martin Wallace is one of my favorite designers. There there are also lesser, not say lesser known designers, but designers that you like but you don't really remember their name, like Daniel Tassini. Uh, now he he's the gentleman that designed Zulkin and Voyages of Marco Polo, and one uh, and both one and two, and the uh, Teotihuacan. Khan. He was actually one of the designers of Teotihuacan. Khan. He makes some very interesting. He he utilizes basic mechanics, but then puts a spin on them. So like how how Martin Wallace can create such an economy in his games, it feels like you're running a business. Uh, Zulkin and Voyages of Marco Polo and Teotihuacan, they all have very basic mechanics, but they all require some twist on it. Like with Zulkin, it was the timing. And Teotihuacan, it was this try to get all your dice in the one area and having to yeah. you know manipulate these tracks. In Voyages of Marco Polo, it's this idea of, oh, I need these resources to travel on this map. Uh, Vladimir Suchi. Vladimir Suchi in Underwater Cities. Uh, mm-hmm. Such a great game. Mm-hmm. His, his ability to make a to make a system that says, okay, all you can do on your turn is pick this one spot and play a card. Pick this one spot and play a card. Very simple. But but underwater cities, there, there's so much complexity in what you're trying to do. It, 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 it's it's the, the ability to take such simple mechanics 
and build a system around it that is so insane. Literally, on Mars is just what I is just what I said. The rundown of all Mars is one side of the board is five action spaces. The other side of the board is five action spaces. If you're in space, do those five actions. If you're on the planet, do those five actions. Sounds very simple. But when you set this game up and you look out, you have no idea what you should be doing. You have no clue where to start. The game actually gives you a deck of cards and says, for your first game, just do what the card says. Just go after, make this your goal. So you flip the card up and the goal is like, okay, build build part of the colony. Build this one thing. Like, okay, I'm going to build a water plant. Well, what do I need to build a water plant? Okay, I need this. So I need to go here to get this resource. And then I'm going to go here to move my robot around so he'll be in a good position to build it. And then I'm going to go to this space. Okay, so I have to do like five things just to get this thing built. And then once you get that built, turn that card in, draw another card. Okay, this card says, okay, now that you've done that, upgrade a building. Well, how to upgrade a building? Well, you need to go get a blueprint. And you need to go up here to get a blueprint. And you have these resources. You can go here and here and here. And after he has kind of guided you in that route, what ends up happening is on your next game, you realize the beauty of it is before the game even starts, you can have a plan. I can look out and go, all right, I'm going to hire a geologist. I'm going to buy this type of technology. I'm going to research it. I'm going to get these resources. Then I'm going to go down to Mars. I'm going to build this building, upgrade it, have these resources, explore over here, back and forth and back and forth I go. And it's semi-co-op. And there's now, now there are some things that I find incredibly irritating about Vital Lacerda's games. Uh, and I'll, I will bring this up. So, for instance, in the Gallers, if you listen to our old review of the Gallers, one of the things that I absolutely hated about the Gallers was the bump out. Yeah. And I, re- I remembered when you explained this, and I'm going, well, this is a worker placement. I put my guy here, and he's like, no, but I can bump you out. And if I bump you out, you get to do this this action. I said, that's stupid. I should be able to block you. Well, it took a long time for me to realize the genius behind that mechanism, even though I don't like it. It's a move that entices you to get ahead of another player and go, okay, I'm going to go here and do this. And then either you have to go do something else or bump me out. And when you bump my meeple out, I get to do something a little bit extra. It's very insidious. On Mars has this mechanism of collecting these gems, these little crystals. And every little thing you could do, there's some of these little actions that incentivize you to go get a crystal, to go over here, to get this crystal, to harvest it and to put it on your player player mat, your big, double, thick, nice cardboard player mat. And then when you have so many crystals, you can turn them in and do whatever actions that's on your player board. Your starting actions on your player board aren't that great. But as you get bigger, as you bring in more spaceships, as you start having more people come to your colony, you reveal more powerful moves on your player board, and all of a sudden, these crystals become very important, and they can break the game. You can use these crystals to do some uber-powerful extra moves on your turn. And so now these crystals become a thing that was barely holding your interest at the earlier part of the game, to now they become integral, intricated integral to your to your strategy and it's just such a just the whole thing is just smart but the but there's this irritating thing that he does where you have this big board looking at you and then over here you have another little board that has all these scientists on here that you could buy and over here you have this other little board that has all these upgraded buildings that you got to buy and has all these icons on it and there's just stuff everywhere like everything captures your attention like you don't know what you need to be looking at and then to top it all off, you have to pay attention to the other players 
because they have technology that when they purchase and it goes on their board, that technology can help you. You could utilize other players' technology. You have to. You have to. It's part of the strategy. So if you buy water plant technology and these water filtration system technology that you have, if you have it up to level three, that means I could build a level three water plant. So it's like, okay, I, I want to build a water station. I'll look around. I have to look at your player board and see where you're at with that technology because you are the guy who's researching it. And when I use your technology, you gain a benefit. That's very irritating to have to watch another player's board. But at the same time, that's such an interesting mechanic because Someone like Enrique, someone who's particularly sneaky, can look out, see what you're about to do, and go purchase technology and be the only player in the game that has it. And anytime somebody builds that thing, they benefit from it. That's very interesting. It's very, it's a pain in the butt to keep track of. It's a pain in the butt to understand, but it's in, it's inventive. And so that's where Vital Lacerda has always lost me. He has so much going on that draws my attention away from just a pure mechanic like Martin Wallace tends to be much more straightforward. Play a card, do this thing, this is your goal. Vito Lacerda makes this huge game and says, just figure it out. And then there's all these extra free actions you could possibly take. This drives me insane. Like like everything about this game, after I got done pl- playing it, I thought, these are the things I hate about it. But instantly I wanted to play it again. <laughs> and... Every time I, I do play love it. the theme, I love, I love a space theme and B the whole colony on a space planet like that. I like that. Well, I've often said in the past when asked about certain board games about how do you know what's that feeling that you get and that, that you know this game is good. And I often describe that feeling as if a game will give me pause. If I have to stop and think. Like a kitty cat? No, 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 no. Pause. Uh But like I have to stop and think. If I'm looking for a strategy and I go, I don't know exactly what I need to do here. And I have to. But you felt the same way about Kanban. Why is this different? Kanban to me. And and I'm not. I have said in the past I didn't give Kanban enough chance. Like I, I, I irritated me. And I think the thing that irritated me about Kanban was, one, I got Kanban, the original edition, back in the day. I was not ready for Kanban back in the day. I had not played many heavy games. And this You're was more of a Kanban. Right. And when I played Kanban, I was frustrated because it's supposed to be a solo game as well. There's supposed to be all this stuff that you could do with it. And I just, I was not. All a, his games are solo. I find that interesting, too. Well, they're so they're solo capable. I'll yeah. say that. But I would give Kanban another chance. But Kanban did not make as much sense to me as On Mars. I will say that On Mars has has given me more of a impetus to look at more of his games. Like I like I've I've enjoyed Escape Plan. Mm-hmm. I have Vinos, not the deluxe edition, but I have the old Vinos that have a lot you of people it? say. Never played it. I've opened it. I've read the rule book. Mm. I thought that's is, this is interesting, and I put it away. You liked so, Escape Plan. I, I liked Escape Plan. Vinos looks interesting. Kanban. I'm willing to give it a second chance. The only game of his that really fell flat for me was the Gallerus, and even still, I would say that I would give that another chance just because I can't mm. quite verbalize what went wrong with the Gallerus. I just know he, there was a lot that I didn't like. 
Yeah, I, I really, I really, that game also had incredible components. It had that freaking little easel you could put your painting on. I mean, it's just every game. That's why almost all of his games are like well over $100. Yeah, uh, which is why I thank you, Kyle, for sending this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, from what I can find on BGG, his first design maybe was Railways of... Some railways design. Railways of Portugal. Uh, Venos is one of his oldest ones. That may be his first like original design. Uh, he made some game last year called Dragon Keepers. Never heard yeah, of it. I, yeah. Uh, he made Lisboa. That's a game that, again, I've heard very divided things on. Lots of people like it. And I think that he's a very polarizing designer. Right. Either right. people love him or they don't even mess with him because they they know like this is going to be too much for me and me and you have kind of veered away from that style that's why i'm intrigued with this game because yes while those games if you can bear through the bear of a rule book figure finally figure all the crap out that it's doing Yes, it's enjoyable, but in the end, is it worth the time and effort to learn the game, set up the game, take down the game, when you could play something like Barony? I will say this. This game gave me the same feel as Robinson Crusoe. Like when I finally oh, learned God. It, When I finally learned Robinson Crusoe. I'm out. It, well, you, you, you're not paying attention to what I'm saying. <laughs> I know uh, what you're I, saying. When I, fi- when I learned Robinson Crusoe, it went deep into my brain, and it's like, I know that game was complicated, but it was there. I, I, I always knew how to play it from then on, and I loved it because it just spoke to me. And for some reason, On Mars did that. It's been a mm-hmm. long time since I've played a heavy game that when I finally got through it, I was like, okay, this is... You this don't is have to go to the rule book too much after no, that. No, no. Like I, I, I went through the game and was just like, I looked it up to set it up to make sure I did it right, started playing it. First game, okay, looked up some rules. Okay, I did that wrong. Oh, I got to remember this. Okay, remember mm-hmm. to pay attention to this thing. Second game, went through, read through the rule book again, walked myself through it, and then it's like, I'm ready to go. It, yeah. it was just a very engaging game. And mm-hmm. I, I, I now, I wouldn't suggest it to everybody. It's a 4.6. It's a heavy game. I don't want to direct somebody to it because if you're not into playing heavy games, you'll you'll be much like myself when I played uh, Kanban back in the day and was super frustrated and and really I think it kind of that kind of took the win out of me for a little bit uh, for playing heavy games. Anyways, that's that's my thought. I'm looking forward to playing it again and uh, actually he, giving it a proper review. But right now it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I look forward to playing it. His earliest design as far as i can see on bgg and it's not even rated because it has expansion age of steam expansion portugal that's what right. it is he also did a railways of portugal but that was 2019 and but i think his first maybe big design was venus probably no co2 co2 was his was uh, look, long co2 right after that. says 2012 yeah venus is 2010 co2 is 2012 okay yeah, I, I remember. I remember Venus coming out, and I remember CO two coming out. And, and on I, Mars is twenty twenty. Yeah, Escape Plans two thousand nineteen. So, so it will sweep the snobbies next year because we haven't played anything else this year. <laughs> it's the only game we play. It'll be like Sonic the Hedgehog. It was the only. T- <laughs> <laughs> what did you watch last year? Gonna Sonic watch, the Hedgehog. It's going to sweep the Tenet. Oscars. 
Oh, Bad yeah. Boys. Don't forget Bad Boys came out like early February. Oh, oh yeah. Oscar nominated. Mm, Will Smith, Anyways, best actor. Next week is the Snobbies. Everybody pay attention for that and send in your recommendations. You better hurry because we're going to record that and then it's over. You and, better hurry. <laughs> uh, and uh, I will discuss Marvel Champions. Not during the Snobbies. <sighs> Fine. The snobbies are the snobbies. Nobody cares about Marvel Champions. Okay. Then I will cut all this out. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy. Stay classy.